0: Well, hello there, and welcome to today's episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if today is your very first episode, I wanna say welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Hugs, high fives, however you wanna celebrate. And if you're returning, welcome back. Hugs, high fives for you as well. Super grateful for you showing up every single week to listen to these episodes and these inspiring guests. But whether you are new or or returning today, you and I get to hang out with Vinny Fisher. Vinny Fisher is an entrepreneur and best-selling author who has over 20 years of experience growing and scaling multiple eight figure companies. Vinny Fisher has been married to Debbie for almost 26 years and has four beautiful children. Vinny has built multiple businesses with the privilege of growing four of them to eight figures. Today, Vinny is the CEO and founder of fully accountable, which opened in early 2015. With his team, they built an outsourced accounting and fractional CFO company that provides a fully managed back office solution for e-commerce, CPG, tech-enabled, SaaS, and digital agencies. They recently made the Inc. 5000 list in 2020 for the second year in a row with 148% growth. As a successful CEO, Vinny has really developed a talent for building and growing world-class teams. He has learned that a valuable company must grow beyond the shadow of the owner. Vinny has become well-known in the marketplace by authoring three best-selling books while leading his team team through it all. In this episode, you're going to learn so much, but as always, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, look out for the story where when Vinny received the marketer of the year award from traffic and conversion for the second year in a row, he said something to his business partner right before he walked across the stage and it would probably shock you. So really look for that answer that actually comes towards the beginning. So you won't have to wait that long. (laughs) Number two, what hiring best practices Vinny has learned after having hired over 2,000 people throughout his career? And number three, how Vinny says he has had the privilege of losing more money than most people have made in a lifetime and the biggest lessons he's learned from those experiences and what metrics you should be paying attention to in your business. So, all that to look forward to in today's episode. But as always, before we get started, I want to give a pre show listener shout out, which this week goes to Andrew K111, who left a review on Apple Podcast saying, Brandon does a great job of making sure his audience is well informed through unique insights and conversational threads that have a way of leading into ideas you just don't want to miss solid podcast. So thank you so much, Andrew K 111 that absolutely made my day when I read that review. And if you're a returning listener and you haven't had a ch- chance to leave review yet, as I said, I read every single one absolutely makes my day. It helps more people to find the podcast, but also I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in the future. So if you want to find out how you can leave one of those reviews, you can go to sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. That's the number seven F I G U R E M I L L E N N I A L S.com slash review to find out exactly how to leave a review, or you can also go to ratethispodcast.com slash seven FM. Those are two easy ways to figure out how to do that, but whether you choose to do that or not, you are in for a treat as we hang out with my friend, Vinny Fisher. If you had to pick between a making a ton of money, B being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Vinny Fisher, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend.
1: Brandon, thanks for having me, buddy. I'm excited. A couple of our mutual friends got me more excited because of (laughs) having been an honored guest of yours. So, you know, always excitement with the anticipation. So looking forward to it. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to it as well. And so um, one of the mutual friends I know we talked about was Tony Grebmeyer. And I, I, I found this article. You'd probably find this funny. I found this article with him and when he was a a water polo player, (laughs) I like dug it up from the archives. I started there. But for you, I wanted to start with something that I think kind of talks a little bit before your entrepreneurial days, before even the corporate, uh, your lawyer days. I want to start with a piece of wisdom that I found inside of your book, The CEO's Mindset, that was actually given to you by your grandmother. Um, So I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit about uh, what your grandmother meant when she said being poor doesn't mean you have to be dirty and what that has to do with your entrepreneurial journey and how you applied it.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, that is such a kind question to start with one because Dorita, my grandma, was like legit and the version of what it looks like to have an angelic being in my life. She guided me through so many areas, and uh, she just was so she was one of those treasured people that what I would look to has helped journey through parts of life. Well, one of those was exactly what advice she gave me. Now, the girl was a hard worker, so let me be real clear, like. What she meant by that was what you can do, if you don't have much, there's not an excuse for you not to do the work. And so she would have me take a bucket of bleach and wipe down the outside of this home that she had, where I had the privilege to stay my summers. But we we had enough of shade that we would produce mildew. And she'd say, just because we don't have any money doesn't mean we can't go out and clean this and make it look nice. Well, she meant that in every area of life, make your bed. Um, like if you're going to be in a conversation, be in it all the way, if you're going to. And so I took that into my life as professionalism. Like if I'm going to be dedicated to what I do, and for me, that could be as simple as being a dad. For me, my faith in Christ, like doing whatever it is I do, I do it well. I don't have to have a, an impoverished mindset just because I would be poor and spiritual or pour in activity, I can actually serve with excellence. And so I drive by the road, we'd see a house and grandma would say to me, see, they don't have to look like that just because they're without. They can really be a good steward of what they have. And Mm -hmm. that's really what she meant by it. And there's so many applications, Brandon, in my life to where I could apply that. Now, I could probably use that advice in my exercise life. I could probably (laughs) be better there. And I'm sure there are other areas I could point to where I could use Graham's advice, but uh, that's the, the premise behind it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think there are so many small habits that add up to the really important things. You know, it's the things that people don't really think are important that you do behind the scenes that really add up over time, like making your bed. Nobody's going to know you made your bed in the morning, but it's that one extra thing that's going to give you that momentum to to really move forward. So you mentioned in passing, you spent your summers with your, your grandmother. So maybe you, would you mind talking a little bit more about some of how you grew up? Because obviously, you've been a very successful entrepreneur. And I always like to unpack and kind of see the genius that kind of formed in childhood <laughs> and all the, the experiences that kind of played into what made you today. So would you mind maybe sharing a little bit more about maybe some of your early experiences and and how that maybe shaped kind of the, your approach to the career path that you decided to take?
1: You know, we we ra- we were raised, um, my parents, bless their hearts, they're both dead now, but, you know, they did the best they could, but like it would go in, their money would go in a dollar in one pocket and come out a nickel another. So my parents yeah. always struggled. And because of that, I actually had kind of a couple different chunks of my life as a kid. First chunk was a family that was relatively put together. Uh, we didn't have much, but we were put together. And then we, moved to a different part of the country. And, and and that move coupled with some just well-timed events broke us all up. And the most stable thing in my life were my grandma, my grandpa, my dad's parents. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize at the time, but I would go to their summer home. Well, it was their home. It was my summer home. And I would go there to spend my summers. And looking back, it was a place of refuge. I I didn't realize I was going there for stability of a couple who would work on their marriage and their life and do their best at really being a surrogate parent in addition to being a grandparent to me. And so I found wonderful comfort in that. And I really enjoyed the the what I would call the simplicity and stability of their relationship. And so I was probably also escaping the lack of it in the other part of my life.
0: Mm. Well, well, thank you for being open and sharing that. I know that sometimes that's not something that just comes out all the time, but I yeah. think that that shows a lot in Kind of like, I find that lots of entrepreneurs have kind of experiences throughout childhood that might cause them to look at things in a different way and I think that having an opportunity to live in a completely different context than what you were used to kind of shaped lots of what you're what you've done so I I know ahead of time you had sent me kind of like your timeline of your journey as an entrepreneur and it is so cool to see how things unfolded so you started as a corporate and tax attorney and then you started all these incredibly successful businesses and the book that oh I I read the CEO's mindset which is a fantastic book and I kind of picked apart what I thought would be uh, um, the best Things for us to cover for what you cover into the CEO's mindset, and I think they're so awesome. So, in the book, you talk about there's kind of six critical areas to a small business there's your mindset. There's your team, there's the real numbers, the great products and services, sales message and proper marketing channels, and the systems and processes. So um, if it's okay with you, I would love to kind of maybe dive into some of the highlights and stories, and we can kind of bring everybody along the journey with us. So if you're cool with that, I have a story I would love you to start with. Um, And and, and that is um, to kind of kick things off with the mindset section. I thought it'd be kind of uh, good to start about kind of your your early mindset about focusing almost relentlessly on, on marketing and sales and how that kind of shifts. So I would love to maybe cover that and talk about this mindset, maybe starting with your experience with 2011. You had a web hosting company, fastest growing in the planet, and uh, maybe share a little bit about the insights.
1: (laughs) Seventh largest. Well, we were competing with the gorilla known as GoDaddy for signups. So for a period of a window of time, and their lawyers didn't like this, but it was true. We were signing up more signups and domain names within that period of time than even GoDaddy was. Mm. Yeah. So That's back awesome. to your real question was, you know, I would have had a marketing and sales mindset in everything. And I, you know, to be fair, I think a lot of uh, uh, startup leaders, so to speak, may struggle with this. And for me, my God was gross revenue. It was the only metric that mattered. And so when I would wake up in the morning, I would want to see what new sales we had from the day before. When I, I, I just told this to a buddy of mine the other day, we were walking out and I said, you know, one of the things I did early on when I had initially started uh, seeing some success in business is I would refresh our CRM to see sales coming in. <laughs> I would just keep refreshing it. Well, now I look at that story differently than I would have then. Then it was like, it was my identity is what defined success was sales coming in. Now I, I run that through a lens of um, lacking maturity that it, it only told part of the story you know, because uh, I would want revenue at all costs, even if it meant l- like losing profit or taking the business in the wrong direction. And so the shift of mindset was like um, marketing is important. Sales are important, but it, it, it's part of the equation. It's, it isn't the only equation. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. And I want to this makes me want to dovetail a little bit into I listened to an interview that you did with Roland Frazier. And uh, you were talking about how you had received the digital marketing of the the year award, if I remember correctly. And I want to highlight this, if it's okay, sharing kind of what was going through your head, because I think that there is so many I mean, we have the two comma club, there's all these awards of like people that have these massive companies. And as somebody that has a uh, a company called Fully Accountable, you kind of start to see behind the scenes of some of these numbers, and they're not always what they make out to be. But um, you had made some comments about receiving this award. Can you can you maybe talk a little bit about what was going on in your business when you received that award? And maybe some of the thoughts that you had going on, um, you know, and, and not having a full grasp of the numbers, maybe?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, it starts with a premise that I believe that the gross revenue was like the metric that we would use to define success. And so, Roland's interview, we talked, I actually almost brought that up in the first part of my answer earlier it was this story. <laughs> cool. And I'm really glad you did because I think it's very relevant to this. And so, traffic and conversion in the early days used to give out a marketer of the year award. Well, this is the second year in a row I'm about to receive this award and I'm standing next to my former business partner. And I said to him, as we're literally walking up, crowd cheering 5,000 people about to get this little trophy and let Perry and Ryan pick on us. And um, (laughs) I leaned over to Mark and said, wouldn't it be interesting if this crowd knew that we were more profitable when we were half the size? And what started to be a revelation to me was that I started to do things like, Exhaust the business or really stress out our merchant accounts for growth when they're like we. I was chasing a metric that actually caused instability in our company. And as I started to mature in business, I started to really see some very simple things that. It's the bottom line that ultimately measures the stability and true definition of the success of the company. And the top line metric, as fun as it sounds, can actually be a very misleading indicator. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important too, just like, I, I I just would encourage everyone to like, really be careful with like the messaging that's out there. Cause there are so many people that use these numbers <laughs> and it's like, man, if you, if if you look behind the, yeah, you could be doing all these, this volume, but <laughs> if you have a leaky bucket, like you said, like you could be growing and it, it could be actually growing negatively. So it's really important for you to the at least social have Social media was there.
1: big at the time of when I wrote that book maybe I should do a 2.0 version of it, but if sure. it was bigger than, I would say an example of how that looks today is someone who's looking to build up a lot of social influence and they have people that might like or tag. And this same person may be wanting to use that strategy for a monetization, no different than podcasting or something else. But they might get some vanity metrics, but no monetization or deepening of what they're using it as a lead gen for. It'd be mm-hmm. the same exam- example of looking at gross revenue and not recognizing the consequences of where you're destroying the profits in your company.
0: Yeah. Love that. So we're, we're going to dive into some of the false profit stuff that you talk about, which I love the, the title of the book is so clever. Um, and so we'll be talking about some of those metrics to look out for, because I think it's very important. But I did want to stick with lots of the CEO's mindset stuff. Yeah, so this sure, was kind buddy. of the, 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 the beginning we talked about the mindset shift of you know talking about it's more than just marketing and sales. there's you know focusing on many other metrics are so important. So we talked about that, we kind of set that up. but there are a few other things that you kind of set up in the CEO's mindset that I think are so important. And one of them, we talk about identifying the company heartbeat. So would you mind talking a little bit about what that is and how we can go about identifying the heartbeat for our companies?
1: Yeah. And I'm hoping later we'll, and I'll just say this for you to put it in your head. I really Go for it. Talk, Please do. I want to talk a little bit about value proposition and I know we'll get there because sure. that was a big shift for me in business, but let's be respectful of where everyone is in the thought process. And uh, I, I think that we look at big business today and we, 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 we gain things from the maturity of large corporations and we want to do stuff they do because they've mm-hmm. run and they've proven brand and they've done things this small and mid-sized company in America is significantly influenced by its leader and or creator. And the shadow that that person that I cast on my own organization is rather large. I am the heartbeat of my organization. Now, it's incumbent upon me to do things to grow that organization beyond that shadow so that it can live as an organization and breathe as an organization beyond just my own shadow. I believe that. But what's important to understand is in the process of wanting to get there, if you don't grasp the fact that you are the chief evangelist, the custodian of of what personality means in the company, then you never understood being the shepherd, getting it to that big thing. And so when I talk about heartbeat, I am it. When you read our core values, when you read what we talk about, you are getting a glimpse inside the heart and mind of Vinnie Fisher. And so when I'm looking to attract people to our team, I'm using as much those things that I understand about myself as the way we attract people and If you don't do that, I think you're more susceptible to a business heart attack because you have maybe people who are good at what they do, but they're so not aligned with the heart and mind of you that your heart's going to missbeat.
0: Yeah. So I want to actually take a little bit of a side tangent here, because I think it's so relevant. And I feel like a lot of the times my conversations kind of end this way. But uh, another person that I had on the show, his name is Shannon Graham. Oh, yeah. And uh, Shannon, Shannon talks about one of the fundamental concepts of leadership is actually worthiness. And when he had put that frame for me, those two words together, they never really meshed. But when you say the heartbeat of a company, you being the leader that everybody's kind of modeling off of, I think that you know, that can be uncomfortable with somebody that doesn't fully accept themselves. That doesn't feel worthy to be leading a company. So as somebody that has built, you know, these, these multiple eight figure companies, do you have any, you know, insights for somebody that may feel, they feel like something is still not in full alignment or they feel like a little bit uncomfortable being this leader and showing up that way, because I feel like it takes a lot of inner work to get there. Any, any insights on that?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, and I think the world has a certain set of rules and how it reacts and one of the sets of the rules of the world is this: how we address happiness and being content. And most of the kind of checklist remedies to that are like focus on tomorrow and like, don't worry about what happened to you before. And I would encourage that a leader needs to actually address and deal with the pains of yesterday because Mm -hmm. the epicenter of our life being our heart and our control center being the head, how it deals with the heart, that we have so many decisions we've made based on the way we have been mistreated and the way we have been wounded, that if we don't actually go back and do the work that look like dealing with it and addressing those wounds and uncovering them. So you know what they are and the triggers and traps that go along with them. I think you're going to have a very hard time of accepting the love and kind of the who you are made up to be in an image better than the broken image of what you have going. And so, to me, when I started to do the work of addressing the shame, you know, of our brokenness in our family history and what looked like our name, and I started dealing with the embarrassment of being someone who had a propensity to lie to make himself look better, and I, de- I would have dealt with the uh, what the misapplication of love as a sexual consequence to set to significance or success as opposed to an outpouring of feeling loved I had to deal with these things and then when I and when I do I'm in a much better position to be able to to lead others because I'm actually from a position of of love and actually the first book I wrote that almost no one talks about and it's okay was like a cleansing book it's called the the best investment of better you I wrote this as a as a book kind of back to the the worth of me and finding that i am loved and for me that the faith that i have in christ i am a child of god i am chosen i'm fearfully and wonderfully made i had to find my way back to that in all of my brokenness and so in there is all some really tough stuff like the hardships of things that happen to you when you're a kid and some people that means sexual abuse some people that might mean physical abuse, others like me, that would have been like the removal of um, um, encouragement. It would have been the lack of any type of validation. And so I was looking for validation in so many incorrect ways. One of those was growing a large company, even if it didn't make any money. One of those was like having um, in incomplete relationships with women before my wife and our marriage. And, 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 and all of that is a byproduct of all these things that are stored up in my heart. And I would say what Shannon's talking about is to find a journey back to those agreements you would have made about these life tragedies you have, would speak to this ability. You, I believe at my core, I'm only capable of giving what I'm capable of receiving. And if I can't see the love for me that I'm capable of receiving, then I'm only going to have that ability to give it out to others.
0: That's so beautiful. And I think that you, you dropped so many one-liners there that I think are important to examine for so many people. And that's become relevant for me more recently is like, I've always wanted to be the giver and just show up and just add so much value to people. But that's, there's another, it's a duality, right? That you have to be able to receive. Otherwise you're robbing somebody of the, the feeling of what it takes to actually serve someone as well. So that's like a, a hard thing. I wanted now, to I was ask, actually,
1: actually quite awful at that. I've hmm. been given a heart of generosity and I gave mostly out of a, a as a wall to so that you didn't actually invest in my life. I just invested in yours, and in the process, I was even incapable of taking a nice compliment from somebody. I'd say, and they'd say, "Oh, that's a really cool pair of glasses." I'm like, "Oh, these little crappy things." I would reject the compliment, mm. and actually realized I had a, a view of myself with a lot of shame. And until I started dealing with that and became a better receiver, I didn't realize the gift goes both ways.
0: Yeah. And, and I I find this very common as well as hearing stories of basically creative avoidance of creating a massive company to avoid, you know, like dealing with some of these stuff the inside. So are there any particular exercises or tools or books or resources, anything that might give someone something actionable if they want to kind of take a pickaxe and maybe start identifying some of those things that have helped you on your journey so that they can use it for their lives?
1: Yeah, I would say that, um, a, a, the, what One of the things that I do in like morning quiet time, some people would refer to meditation, other people would like refer to prayer is I actually start out my day most times um, with a posture of like gratefulness, like I mm. stop and consciously think about very tangible, real things in the moment that I'm grateful for. It might be as simple as like, uh, wow, I really appreciate this hot cup of coffee or like, like just some very simple practices of the real reality of like the promptings of my heart that I'm grateful for. And some real practical ways to do that is to just take a blank piece of paper and stop and listen to the things that are outpouring you that you are actually grateful for. Even the most hurt, hurting, downtrodden, miserable people are grateful for some things. If they stop and practice the habit of focusing on those, renew your mind, be transformed by taking those thoughts captive and run it through things you're grateful and thankful for. And my practice of doing that has been a big deal and uh, I love it. And so uh, there's probably many ways that people can do that, but the simple activity of stop, drop and roll of do it is a big deal.
0: Yeah. For me, that's a new habit I've been actively looking to develop. I'm very introspective. Like I have a whole process of journaling every single day and then every single month. And I had, so I break it down pretty frequently, but it's always been on my computer. And so recently our mutual friend, Jules, she sent me one of these things called the rocket book. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like, it's like a, it's like you can scan in your notes and that kind of stuff. So I've taken that as a sign that I need to take away from the screen and just start with just free flowing in the morning. And that's been super cleansing and super powerful for me to just to say, hey, something is here. I was triggered here the other day and I should really just see what happens if I go down this rabbit hole a little bit. So, so for I me, appreciate I you find that.
1: the power of writing unlocks a different uh, relationship to my conscious thoughts and even maybe some things that are going on beneath that. I don't experience that at the same level typing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people do, I don't. And I would say that if you want to explore a different way of, you know, I started journaling and writing with a wrong perspective or wrong motive. And I actually did it kind of dutifully like, cause people said to do it. Right. And over time I started like paying attention to the promptings of what's going on. What's flooding my thoughts. What's kind of pouring out of me. And the more I just started capturing those things, I actually go back and read that thing. And I'm like, whoa, okay, okay. And so I think I have more of an experience that you have to writing, which is it unlocks some some thoughts that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to communicate if it was just left to my thinking and the writing helps unca- on uh, open some of that up. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's some homework for someone. Um, I would say something very specific is if something triggered you recently, use that as an opportunity. Cause usually if something triggers you externally, it means it triggered something internally. <laughs> so like use, use that, use that trigger as an opportunity to sit down with a notebook in, in a quiet time in the morning and find out what the heck it really means. Cause it's probably mucking up some stuff. So that was a cool detour. I'm glad we went there. Cause I think that's super valuable for people. And that's not even, that's, that's behind this. That's not even included in the CEO's mindset. So that um, was really cool that we got there. So let's kind of talk. We talked a little bit about, you know, the, the underlying thing about driving for more than just revenue and sales um and i i I want to talk a little bit about some of the other things that lead into what you call the c e o s mindset and this question I think is going to transition us into the next part of it um It's kind of a hybrid between mindset and people um but you tell this really powerful story in the book about um you were you were visiting somebody in, that owned factories and you were in a golf cart when this this person said something to you about the seventy percent rule that that caused him to kind of like break on the golf cart and share this, share this story with you. So would you mind telling that story and what the takeaway was for the 70% rule?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate him at the time. He he was in my life for a season of it. And, um, we would probably do life very differently in a lot of ways. And I believe in my heart that the Lord raises up people to help you. If you can see it in all different walks of life Mm -hmm. and where he helped me that day was, um, I had been being raised up in a law firm and under this idea that what a lawyer does is you need every fact in order to make decisions about risk avoidance. And I, I, I'm a more tolerant risk person. Leaders of businesses usually take a lot of risk. So that wouldn't be necessarily the alignment of a good practicing lawyer. But, you know, Mr. James said to me one day, um, uh, you know, if I'm going to make some decisions in my organization, I'm going to put some people in positions to make some decisions. I can't make all of them, but I can also gather enough information and I could get to a certain point where one, I can not only make those decisions, but then I can also trust that if someone can get to some level of the amount of, of decisions that would make me comfortable, if that's their max, but that's my minimum. And I have room to let people make decisions that aren't my best, but are their best. And that was the kind of underlying principle behind this 70%. Can I accept the fact that 70% of a decision helps me make a decision, which is kind of the Peter Drucker stuff. But the more com- compelling part for me was, if that's true, can I allow other people to live that that might be their best but that was the minimum set I needed to make a decision. Can I give room for them to lead and not overlord or overlead them by overcorrecting or being the lightning bolt in my business? And that was like this aha moment for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's that. That was an aha moment for me reading the book too. Is like you got to be okay with us, you know, seventy percent of yourself. Because if you're trying to be the control freak behind everything, you're never gonna like you kind of say grow behind your grow beyond your shadow. So I think that's a really beautiful thing, and that kind of leads us to so i mean cuz i feel like this is a this is a leadership topic about working with people and so the the second chapter of your book is all about people and i think that this is you know you, you talk about how you can have systems but you need the right people and that almost takes priority over the right systems and you talk about how one of the most important jobs of the ceo is actually personnel Uh, As being your number one priority. So, I think that somebody that maybe hasn't reached the levels of success may not even really understand what that means. So, would you mind sharing a little bit about why that is such a priority for you and your current role as the CEO of your company?
1: I think it should be the role of every CEO. Now, I I will be respectful that my personality and my design is I absolutely love the uniqueness of people more than I like stuff. So, I'm already addicted to people. I, I want to be real clear. I've also been a student of people. I also recognize that in my inherent laziness, I want others to do some of the repetitive work that they find awesome that I don't find so awesome. Mm -hmm. With all that said, I believe at my heart that it's always people that are the dynamic part of an organization. And so one of my big, big jobs is to be available to make sure that we have the right people on the team and then I'm spending most of my energy with the executive and new people of our organization. That hasn't changed. That won't change. Now, the board could could cycle me out. But as long as I'm in charge of leading, um, I, I will always spend my time on people. Uh, because I, I think that all the Jim Collins stuff, all the good to great, when you boil down everyone's books, um, helping someone move into a level of their own leadership development is what creates in organizational generational impact. So at some point I have to cycle out. And if I make it all about me, then my organization is going to come and go as I go. And so why that's such a big deal for your mind is that you have to be honest with yourself. Are you building an enterprise? Or are you building a thing for you? And if it's a thing for you, then at least be honest with yourself that you are building this thing that's about you. And you, like, don't be mad that you want something that isn't about you. But if it, if you want it to be about something bigger than you, then also be honest with yourself and critique how you're not investing in the growth of other people. And so like, that is the big deal. And no one Sadly, very little people, they like it. They're aware of it. They don't actually do the work of investing in the growth of people. They're doing it to um, maybe win back some of their own time as opposed to expand the enterprise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just to add a little bit of more weight for you that's hanging out with us right now, Vinny has had over 1,700 employees during his career <laughs> and conducted probably multiples of that for interviews. So uh, this is coming from someone that has tons of experience with hiring the right people. And so you also We're have- also are over a-
1: 2,000 now and like 2000 50, interviews. Like my uh, CEO recently retracted that and said, we probably should come up with a 2.0 version of that book if we want. And life's <laughs> been interesting over our last five years since we wrote that original manuscript. And, uh, but yeah, it's North of 2000 now.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, please continue correcting me on, on stuff that's outdated. So that, that is so, so impressive. One of the ways that you have been able to hire those over 2000 people though, is something that you call reverse hiring. And I thought that this was something that was very unique. So would you mind talking a little bit about reverse hiring and how you've applied that to your business?
1: Yeah, I love it. So we start with one framework, effort, attitude, and ability, right? So because of that framework, We think that, you know, first off, a good professional has to be willing to put in the effort. They have to have an attitude that aligns up with our organization. And then there has to be at least an aptitude or an ability to want to be better at whatever it is you're going to do. That's our framework that we actually hire with. The reverse hiring part is our protective mechanism. We take our core values, competent, caring, committed. Now a new one, since all of that called community, which by the way, just as a side, we just added that in August of 21. And so that's a real thing that happened as a a celebration. You don't claim community, you earn it. Well, we take those values and they become the scorecard that gets you out of a job, not into the job. So we are, our whole questioning is designed to see if your personality and who you are and your character line up with our values. I hear over and over and over, gosh, when I talk to Rachel, it's like talking to you. When I talk to Heidi, it's like, you guys are all the same. We're not the same technically. We're not the same in management and we're not even the same in life, but we have to line up substantially in character and who we are. And so I say that if you don't line up with that scorecard in my organization, you might in someone else's, you don't belong here. And so our motto is we're okay with, you know, hiring fast, hiring slow, as long as you live on the line that when you realize you're wrong, that person has to go somewhere else. hmm
0: and, and as a podcaster, I'm just such a pattern seeker. So I would highly encourage everyone, if you haven't done this work already, other, epi- other episodes that people have talked about, things like this include John Vroman um, and Marusha Murphy, all these you know, really high level, incredibly successful entrepreneurs that are talking about determining what these core values are so that it serves as a filter. It's like a heuristic so that you can make sure that you're prioritizing the most important things in your business.
1: So but be careful also- that they're not aspirational. Don't make them Don't make them the things you want them to be. Like if you go read our core values, you have just found out me, Mm -hmm. right? So why is caring so important? Why do we say, why do we give you the right answer, the truth, regardless of the result? Well, because deep down I would have been raised in an environment of lying. And so over time I would have had to endure how to break that bondage in my life. Well, the finger pointing and someone else's fault and not telling you what you need to hear because I'm worried about how you feel about me are so anti to our culture that when I find that out in interviewing or through the process, or even our people now who, who have the DNA of our cult, well, all of that is so important to who we are. It may not be universally important to everyone else. And so I think the advice you're giving everybody is make sure you do the work of your values. Don't just go print off Apple's value and make them yours. Who are you? And at the core are the people, the most successful people around you score a four out of five on that scorecard. And so go take that scorecard, make it your own thing. I don't care. Whatever you want, we'll give it to you. But to me, you're protecting and building your environment. You're not trying to copy mine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I I did this exercise recently so I don't know, I haven't really meditated on these that much, but the three that kind of came through for me were connection, innovation and growth as my three personally and those that that's been very valuable for me to kind of just filter opportunities and people through that. I want to also back up and and talk a little bit about um the the things that you mentioned, attitude, effort and ability. There's actually an, a correct order in going through those things when you are hiring someone, right? So I know in the book, you outline this a little bit. Would you, would you mind talking a little bit about, because I think most people think you need to hire for somebody's ability, right? But I think that you have a little bit of a different viewpoint for that. So would you mind clarifying and sharing about the importance of what you're looking for in the right order?
1: The dead last thing I'm hiring for is competence. Dead last thing. I will. I always say, I didn't know how to be a lawyer until I was one, but I had the attitude and the, I was willing to put in the effort. Uh, We can always train competence. We just do regular training. Think of all the hours you've put into something like podcasting. You weren't good at it when you started. Imagine only hiring someone who was good at doing the interviews and not going through the endurance, but you have this You have an insatiable desire or attitude to be really good at making sure you're prepared and show up for the interview and ask amazing questions, which is, by the way, you're doing. And you are putting in the effort. To me, that is the key framework to the triangle. The ability is more of an indicator. I'm okay if all things equal. If I've got two people with the exact effort and the exact attitude, then sure, love to have the ability part. But usually someone is far and away willing to put in the effort and has the attitude set and they're usually lacking on ability.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's. So beautiful. And I, I appreciate you sharing your insights. One one last thing on the people thing, because I thought this was really cool too. This is a line from your book. You said, looking back, my strategy of hiring quickly was not the problem. Obviously there was some context behind that sentence, but you said it was a lack of a hiring and firing strategy that actually led to most of my future business struggles. And again, I know we're talking on something that's dated. Whenever I read something that's like my old work, I'm like, man, that is such like a timestamp version of me. <laughs> Sometimes when people read my old work, I'm like, man, uh, but this is so, I think this is so relevant is that we need to have a firing strategy. As well, was most people don't have a, a firing strategy. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how you've come to understand what that means for your business?
1: Yeah, you know, there are seasons in business where like having five interviews or six interviews, the market might be so competitive that you're going to lose them after interview two. And then there are seasons in our economy where maybe you can have seven interviews and you're not even going to lose that person. Well, we have and flow through the competitiveness of hiring good people. And so I'm saying I wouldn't like in slow or quick hiring is not really the pendulum shift when you make a decision to hire somebody, and you know, it is not going to get better than those first 90 days, you already know. And so I would have spent time trying to resurrect somebody that I knew didn't belong on the team. And, you know, I say, my wife doesn't love this. But I always say there's only been one successful resurrection, everything else is in imitation, And we have not been able to successfully resurrect somebody who was not supposed to be on our team. The, if How much do I not have to love somebody or lack compassion, to be honest with them, and help them move to somewhere they can thrive? They're like a dead person walking by me not having the courage and valor to do the right thing and help them cycle out of our organization.
0: Hmm. I'm just going to poke because I'm, I'm really curious. Why doesn't your wife like you saying that?
1: Because it just undermines the my faith in Christ a little bit that I'm playing mm-hmm. with words on that, and so she just like thinks I'm being a little cute with those words. But at the end of the day, she knows my heart, so she's just having some like, hey, be careful about that. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, maybe people don't know that, so be careful how you're saying that. And I'll, I'll just like shoot back and say that's the truth. Like I feel that way, and so that's how I feel. I'm not trying to have a disguised evangelism, and but so we just go back and forth. I love the fact that she does not not withhold. Like she is my best friend. And and she's willing to go, you know, by the way, she'll listen to this show like she does them all. And she'll do a better best afterward and go, hey, you know, when you said this, what do you think about that? And so I haven't had a show where Homegirl hasn't uh, skepticized something. That's awesome. Well, let's give let's
0: give her a little bit of love right now, then, since this is a great opportunity. I know you guys have four beautiful children, if I if I if I got that that, that number correctly. Right. And as somebody that is somebody that is, you know, Gone through this crazy journey of entrepreneurship for all these years. Uh, you know your wife, Debbie, obviously has played a huge part of this. So first of all, hi, Debbie, since you're listening to this, uh, hopefully you. I get to, to get, hang out with you one day, but would love for you to share a little bit about some of the best practices and uh, how you two have grown uh, together throughout this entrepreneurial journey
1: you know, for us, you know, and maybe it's different for other people, but for us, I'm so thankful that we were dedicated in our life to the faith that we claim in Christ and we serve him first. And so for us, it works so well in our marriage that we're able to do things like put our, for our the needs of each other ahead of ourselves, right? It's an act of obedience. And so Deb and I, we made a decision even before we started following this Jesus, we said, we are not going to ever argue about things like breakup. We're not going to say destructive words like divorce. And you know Mm -hmm. what? Praise God for us. We have never done that to each other. And that was all like pre-stuff. So I'm like, wow, where did that come from? Well, Deb and I, um, because of coming from broken generational divorce in our families, we just made a decision that we're going to like stick in this together. And we're going to Put the the commitment of stay together. And so we we fight for things that don't look like for immediate happiness. They would look like perseverance, steadfastness, stay together, endure together. For us, we would say internally, we fight for holiness, not our happiness. Mm-hmm.
0: Any any tips on how, how have you managed also the relationship between your kids and seeing all the stuff that you're doing as a CEO? Have you worked to, and I know you, you hired one of your daughters as an intern, at least at the time that was writing this book. That's right. So I, like any other ways that you've worked to incorporate your family and the stuff that you're doing.
1: And by the way, I want to be really fair and honest with my answer mm-hmm. there as an entrepreneur with Debbie, I have done plenty of things to cause pain in our marriage. It's not a perfect marriage. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, someone said to me once, you know, you know the uh, the days are long and the years are short. You know we're married now twenty six years, and I, I love her more now than I did when I, in my immaturity, said yes. I didn't even know the commitment I was making, but I have done massively awful things, and I, I, I'm thankful for endurance and and dedication. Uh, and so the life of an entrepreneur, like. Deb didn't actually know what she was fully signing up for when she would have married uh, somebody who um, looks to like adventure like a Lewis and Clark and go create things and problem solving and do things for other like, you got to be a little strange to take the kind of risk that leaders who create businesses take I I kind of always have kind of recognized that, but I'm not going to say that Deb's always recognized that she has come to endure and, and accept the pros and cons that come along with a dedicated relationship. But, you know, I've taken us close to the edge a couple of times and I, I've, I almost melted down the empire and, uh, You know when I when you bruise your knee in front of indent your armor in front of your cheerleader that's a that's a tough thing and uh, so I did some tough stuff to our marriage and and we're still together and I'm so thankful I can celebrate that but that's true of my kids that's why I told you that part is an answer to the beginning like we were just recently celebrating old photos and my third born Jacob bless his heart there was a time where he when he was born that I've got not one, but two eight-figure companies. I'm being pulled in all kinds of directions. I got hundreds of people that are on our payroll. And I'm. there's a photo taken of Jacob in our... It's a video that actually has a still shot photo, video, uh, photo taken where I say to Deb, hey, what was that day? She's like, "Uh, that's your leg in the background. And I have absolutely no conscious memory of that day or that moment. And I was... Physically there a lot, but I wasn't present. I was really, really, really busy in this like life of acquisition. I had started making a bunch of money. I got super excited. And the only way to satisfy income is to go get more of it. And I was in that phase of income satisfaction beyond basic needs. But the problem with income is it it satisfies, it always needs more. That's the drive of the successful leader. You get it. And the only way to be satisfied by it is to get more of it. And I'm in that cycle of my life with my children. Well, I'm thankful to have lived through some of that, to endured through some of that, and to also not, um, by, the, by the grace of God, not break our family in that process.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, man, I'm just I'm just sitting here kind of like with my jaw on the floor, because I mean, this is such a powerful story for for everyone to listen to. And this is kind of what I talk about lots of times is, is you know, that's the whole mission of Seven Figure Millennials is helping entrepreneurs to prioritize their happiness, health, and relationships. And so for people that, you know, maybe have that drive or that need to really perform and you know constantly chase numbers or bigger businesses and stuff like that. You know, would you go back and change things? Like how how have you come to understand it or what advice would you give to maybe a younger version of yourself? I don't like normally asking that question, but I think this is a great time to ask that.
1: I <laughs> know, yeah, you know, I I'll say stuff that's just like that. I'll say, you know, I wish I would have Vinny talking to me when Vinny was younger. Right. And I, I I am okay with that. So to me, like pay it forward, leadership development, help the youth with the stuff I'm with it. Walk alongside people, not like Lord over them. I'm with all of that. None of that breaks down. I, I should be taking my witness and wisdom and helping others. When I look back at things that I did, I saw a speech once by a girl named Rachel Hollis, and she said something that was kind of cool. Um, she said, you know, I wasn't ready for that 10 years ago. I'm ready for it now. And I'm like, you know, that's so wise. Like the things that happened to me before were for a reason to get me ready for what's going on right now. And I I didn't know it at the time. You know, it's kind of like, like someone doing a heroic moment, a heroic moment might stay up late and have a loving conversation with your daughter and unknown to you, she might be steps away from doing something awful in her life. It doesn't have to be like a brave heart moment to be heroic. Well, looking back at some of the brokenness in business and stuff, um, I would have liked to have had a longer perspective. I bought into what digital automation does. I bought into the immediate result. Like I want it right now. I want it right now. I want it right now. In my mind and who I am, I'm always living in tomorrow and I'm living in tomorrow so much that I'm mad that it doesn't come fast enough. And so because of that, I'll bite to things that look like quick result. And I'd say that I have learned and I've endured, and I'd say to younger people, uh, appreciate uh, trying to stretch out the length of something and use the benefit of investment of your time as, as a reward, not being mad at uh, how long it takes.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, that's you know, most, I think the long-term vision is so important. And so thank you for sharing that. You had, you had alluded to earlier, when we were talking about your wife, some of the things that you've, um, you, you've kind of taken your family through uh, on this yeah. journey. And one of the lines that I wrote down for your book is, I've had the privilege of losing more money than most people make in their lifetime. And I'm confident that this is that this life lesson is going to teach a lot of people something about how to track their numbers. Uh, so obviously there was a little bit of a context there as well, but I think this kind of maybe brings us back a little bit to what we were talking about for the CEO's mindset. And this, is, this comes from the section about where you started to understand the metrics that really matter in your business, not just the top line, but the other stuff as well. So uh, would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about some of the insights that you have for people on learning the key metrics for your business and um, how do we can avoid maybe some of those mistakes that you made earlier on?
1: I think to be a good fiduciary, a leader, the top leader of your organization, you're called a chief something and you resonate with words that look like creator or founder or chief evangelist or even chief executive. Everyone has words of where they describe themselves at the top of the pile. And that person ultimately has to have some kind of dedication that's bigger than herself and that has to be beyond who you are if you're going to actually make a real impact. I, I, I had a massive shift in my life where I would have been a self-professed spam marketer and it was all about making money. <laughs> and I had a big shift that things changed. And it was like, I like to solve problems, but I wanted to solve problems in a way that just made me more money. When I made a big shift and wanted to make a real change in solving problems for people, the funny thing is the money just follows later. And when I actually wanted to focus on value first, a lot of things changed, including having a value proposition to the leadership of my organization. That's what goes right back full circle to Graham. When I don't, I, just because I was impoverished in my leadership mindset didn't mean we had to be dirty. I could stop, even though I don't have financial intelligence, there are four or five working metrics in every industry that a leader should know. And if I don't know those, there's a thing called the Google where I could probably find out a couple of those. And why don't I know the answer to some of those questions? Well, I think willful avoidance and conscious ignorance are the only answers to a leader. And I'd say once you do the hard work of that, those some of those core metrics, that cocktail napkin math that's important for the leader, why could I be mad at someone else on my team? If I'm not willing to stand for those things, That way, if I can own in front of my people that I wasn't doing that stuff, they're going to step into the gaps and make sure we do it better.
0: Mm -hmm. So you just kind of brought a whole bunch of things full circle, but I think that's super important. And if you, obviously, anybody that wants uh, full detail of the the metrics that matter from fully accountable as a company that is helping, what is your, you have an incredible mission. It's like helping over 10,000 small businesses to double their...
1: Profit margin. revenue, yeah. their profit And Brandon, margin the is- way we want to do that is like you can have anything of ours. We don't think we're going to be able to, you know, at this season of our life, physically be the back office for 10,000 companies. Mm-hmm. But we made our mission bigger, which is why we do shows and we give our stuff out. You're not going to be rich being an author. So we did that for other reasons. And so, you know, if they want all that, they can go to fullyaccountable.com forward slash seven figure millennials and we'll give all of it away without any real expectation and stuff in return. You can do this. You can have this stuff. Um, and for the people that like want us to do it for them, we'll figure that out. This isn't a sales pitch. It's an anti-sales pitch. I want you to go do it. And if all we are is speed and automation with expertise.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I, you know what I realized uh, just this past weekend, Vinny is hanging out with some of our friends at TFL Seattle is that lots of people don't know how to spell the word millennials. <laughs> uh, so, so I want to correct this. So you, you said that was fully, fully accountable.com slash seven. Is that the number seven? Yeah. Okay. The number seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-M-I-L-L E-N-N-I-A-L-S. So uh cool. Just so and we'll
1: know. also just drop, we'll make seven figure work in case they screw up, also go to the same spot. cool.
0: Sweet. Sweet. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate that gift and would highly encourage anybody to go check that out and um check out what I the mean. Just don't go to
1: Amazon is. and buy our stuff. We'll send it to you. Like, I just want you doing it. You know, the reality is the road's narrow. Very few people work on the work of themselves. And I'm just addicted to, Brandon, like more of us winning at the development and foundation of our identity. And if if so, we're going to lead massively more people. It's the economy. It's the way it was created that we help solve problems for other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. That was such a very kind gift for you, and highly encourage anybody to go check that out. And like you said, don't grab it from Amazon. You can, and then also make sure when you read the book, go check out all the bonus stuff. Vinny gives away some incredible bonus content from inside of the book. So if you want some of their hiring best practices, all that stuff can be found out. Um, you know when you go down the rabbit hole. So highly encourage everyone to go down the rabbit hole. And man, this is a sign of a good interview because time has been flying, and I have like a ton of stuff that I still wanted to cover. So maybe I can kind of start to get a little bit selective. You mentioned it in past and you wanted me to come back here and you started bringing it back here, but you talked about value prop uh, a little bit. So I don't know if you want to talk about that specifically in the sales and marketing context, or if you wanted to hone in a little bit about that, because you said you were really excited to talk about value proposition.
1: Yeah. I think the big shift is, you know, I think we, I think we, I think part of the design of, of, of the marketplace is first to meet our basic needs is the way we get provision. I think you need money, you know, basic needs and all that. But if you want something that's going to be impactful, like, and I think the second piece of the marketplace is to live out our mission. Part of our mission is to help to meet the needs of those who are less fortunate. I always say that if you don't know how to run the back of your business, well, then you're just less fortunate. We have those resources and tools. And so when you shift your mind to solving a bigger problem for society as a whole from just making money, you're... You're going to fill in this equivalent of fulfillment that's far greater than a bigger bank account can ever do. I've been quite blessed with the privilege of growing some large organizations, grew some stuff that didn't matter one bit when it closed. Someone else just filled in that spot. This organization closes, fed fully accountable, and a lot of people are going to be hurt. It's just not as simple it's going to fill in. We meet a massive category of value proposition, and I'd say that's one of the journeys of of, of, of being, uh, of really deeping fulfillment is where you're really solving problems for others. And in return of how uh, the general rules of economy work, you'll receive rewards like content, like uh, opportunity, uh, even revenue, and things like a growing net worth. Those are all like fruit. Those are things that come off the tree. It's not the goal. The goal is a healthy branch. The result is the fruit. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I'd say that when I shifted my gears from a spam marketer, and I'm still a great spam marketer, so let's not get rid of (laughs) that. When I shift my goals from spam marketing to actually improving what we do to help others, it really massively improved every element of my business life.
0: Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And I think that that's been a filter I've had on recently. And I, I think it's a really important one to have on is just like, why, why does this really matter at the end of the day? I know it's kind of a, a, a like an abrasive question, but like I've been asking that a lot when I, when I see different business models, like why does this really matter? What is this really actually doing? Uh, so I, I, I appreciate you sharing that um, realization that you had there as well. And that's going to um, be
1: different for everyone, Brandon. I don't want anyone listening to this to go, oh, mm-hmm. Vinny doesn't like blah, blah, blah. You know, I had a biz op company. I loved it. And if you're in the biz opportunity space, go watch what Roland Fraser is doing. He's crushing it. Like don't take, you know, a, a statement and then apply it. Some industries suck and others don't like yep. I think you need to run it more internal and be like, do you believe you're just making money or do you really think you're solving problems for people? It's an internal thing. It's not like this external checklist that you can take my thing. But when I ran that through some of the businesses I built, I had to be honest with myself. I didn't really build it to solve a problem. I just built it to make money. Yep.
0: Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And I want to call that out in you and honor that in you because that's the second time you've done that during this interview. The first time was on the the values when you were talking about the core values and making sure that they're your core values, making sure that it is your value prop. So I really appreciate you challenging and making sure that that was clarified in both those instances, because it is so easy to compare uh, based on what other people are doing. But to really ask yourself the question of what matters to you is the work that we all need to do. And that can never be found externally. It's lots of stuff on the inside.
1: It's kind of that guy standing in front of the mirror, right? That, you know, like, you know, you learn some stuff about how you look and you walk away from the mirror and you forget what you look like. Well, that Mm -hmm. is a wonderful proverb that really speaks to this whole idea that like, like your heart tells on itself. It says Mm -hmm. things all the time to you about like, if you're not investing in the maturing of your business, do you even believe in it? Like, instead of like being mad that your business doesn't have these things, maybe you have absolutely no relationship to the problem you're solving for people. And you just have built this framework that's going to break the second you take your hand off it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, so so much value there. And uh, so I wanted to kind of maybe, so just so people haven't kind of gotten lost as to where we're, we're hanging out too. I talked about the six values or the six elements of the business that, that Vinny lined out in the beginning. So we have Your mindset, your team, real numbers. And so, the mindset, we kind of talked about the 70% rule. We talked about the focus on not just top line revenue and your team. We talked about some of the hiring practices that Vinny has talked about. The real numbers, Vinny encouraged us to go check out what the metrics are that really we need to be paying attention to in your industry. This is work that, I mean, you can do the, the standard numbers that everyone needs to look at lifetime value, your customer acquisition costs. Those are important things to look at, but there are also specific things that you need to be looking at for your business. So there are a few few things that I wanted to cover that we haven't dove into yet, and one of them is about create great products and services. And this kind of talks a little bit about what we were just talking about, Vinny, about value proposition. And I know lots of people get really excited, and, and and I experienced this in the last company that I was that I was running the business development for, is that to grow, what we did is we added a crap ton more services, products, like, you know, different offerings. And then after a while, we just had like this, this massive dragon with like all these info products. And I think you had, you had, I highlighted that in your book because you had mentioned a very similar story. Uh, But what would you recommend for somebody that is, that thinks that they need to grow by adding more? Um, And some of the insights that you've had from growing your businesses and helping other people to simplify a little bit?
1: You know, there's some big principles in business that have stood the test of time, and they even go back to biblical days. But like, you know, like one of the more uh, relevant things they were talked about is this like Pareto principle, that like there's this 80-20 rule, right? And that like um, 80% of your results come from 20% of your organizational's impact, that's so true in every category. Like anyone who ever comes in as a management consultant is immediately looking to cut away you know, what Andrew Carnegie would refer to as the dribbles of income, the distractions that get bolted onto your business. And I think that, Everyone should continually do an audit improvement because what happens with strategy and vision and innovation is we think the way to expand is just add more things, more SKUs, more stuff, when in reality, we need to be improving the ones that are the best. And so Pareto's principle would say, go and look at the 20% of the products that are making 80% of the impact or service. And really spend substantially less, if no time, on all the other ones. I I say this all the time and say to people, go drop those seven skews. And it's so hard for someone to drop their stuff. But Andrew Carnegie, like, go read his autobiography stuff. It's real good. Like, he would get rid of. And one of my mentors in the law every year would make me fire the bottom 10% of my clients. Mm. And I was like, why would I do that? I got it finally, because when I looked at the value prop as it related to who I was helping, it was always in that smaller category. And by me forcing to get rid of the bottom part of it just made our firm better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you could, you can take the 80, 20 and do the 80, 20 of the 80, <laughs> 20. If you keep doing that, you end up with one client that's giving you like, I, I forgot what it was. I I just read Perry Marshall's book. Uh, mm. I forgot what the, the title of it was, but he does this great breakdown of like, if you keep doing the 80, 20, the 80, 20, you get one client that's making up just a ridiculous amount of your revenue if you keep looking at it the right way. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that on simplifying. I think that's super important. And uh, th- there's another myth that I wanted you to kind of cover in the, the products services. Um, And this is a myth that I think that many people think about, but tell us a little bit about having the best product wins. So if somebody says to you, Vinny, I think having the best product wins, what would you say to them?
1: Yeah, that's true. In some respects, I could have the best donuts in the world, but if no one knows about them or shows up to buy them, then I have the best donuts that no one eats. (laughs) So the problem is it isn't always true that the best product wins. The best amplification and awareness of those products when, you know, some of the products that we all know, like, and love or whatever, aren't the best ones. They're just the best talked about ones. So there's this delicate balance that you have to, I think if you want to really pay attention to the quality of your product, then pay attention to your refund or what we call breakage rate. How many people Mm -hmm. are leaving? You might be good at the part that I think super important is providing awareness and amplification in your marketing. So people know about your product. If you're caring about the service, you know, you'll see stuff like people go, We're, "We have the best customer service." Well, I don't know that that actually necessarily gets a customer. It might keep one, but it doesn't get one. And so, I, 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 there are plenty of inferior products that are winning the marketing world. And so, this, I'd say that the myth that you can have the best product wins is diminished. By if no one knows about it, then then three people will benefit from your great product. And I think there are a lot of companies out there that fall into that category. The reverse is true. There are a bunch of companies out there that are great at sales and marketing, and they are losing so many customers because they're not improving what they offer as a service or a product.
0: Yeah. Rapid, rapid iteration on your products—just launch. That's so, so cool. And I think you have another—you have another system that you do this with your products and services that fully accountable. Um, and you—and so this kind of dives into the processes and systems component. But you run lots of your company using Scrum in weekly Scrum meetings. And I know you actually gave a, a shout out to Work the System, Sam Carpenter. Actually, yeah. Josh Fong, or the CEO of Work the System, was also on the show. So if anybody wants to look at some of the uh, things on how to develop systems, that's also in, in Josh's interview. But I, w- I really love this insight in the, in the book that you share about how you run things on a weekly basis. So would you mind maybe kind of peeling back uh, the the onion that is that the right phrase? So, I was gonna say peeling back the curtain, but I'm like, I definitely just combined two different things that don't belong together. <laughs> yeah, I so peel the onions, yeah. right? I think you know, so peel funny. We My
1: mother-in-law mixes metaphors all the time. Oh,
0: I do it all the time. My yeah. wife makes fun of me because they, they'll just come out. What is I said? Happy is a happy as a camper is what I said the other day, instead of happy as a clam. (laughs) I don't know where it comes from. I think I probably get it from my dad, but anyways, um, talk to us a little bit about weekly scrum meetings and how you organize things. I think this is super cool on building a culture based on execution.
1: Yeah. You know, we eat our own dog food on all these things, but not our most of them, but definitely for sure uh, on as many as we can. And this is one of them. And so I think to, um, you know, we we think of big terms, one of them would be this agile environment, another one would be this like scrum environment. And So they're very, um, engineering type processes, very project manager based Gantt chart type stuff, how that played out in the digital world, usually through programmers, developers, right, they have a kind of a process of development. Well, we Mm -hmm. like that, because we're much a software and development type firm, everything we do. And so I kind of, like appreciated some of the stuff the programmers were doing. Well, I realized we could take that into every department within our company. And so we have every day, these 10 minute standups and it's the department lead. You know, when we were smaller, you know, maybe I led that. Then when we were a little bigger, maybe Rachel led that. And then when we're like bigger, bigger, now we have like, we're big. And once again, and we have department leads who lead that, but they stand up and it's a, what what's not working? That because of the organizational complexity, what do I need? We speak up. Like, what am I going to do today? And what do I need? That possibly one of the other ones of you are holding up. And we do that every day, and it it helps speak into this operational excellence. It like allows for a throughput instead of letting a week go. You ever been in that meeting where someone's like, I've just been waiting for Ted. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell Ted? Well, we get in this world where like, we're so busy. We're not trying to be a booger. We're just so busy. We like, we just assume Ted knows that Ted's holding it up. There you go.
0: Yeah. So you have these weekly meetings and then you have, daily. Uh, yep. or, sorry, daily, sorry, daily. And then you have uh, executive meetings on Fridays and company meetings on Mondays. Is that still, and then quarterly? Yeah, still cleanup. the same is that, thing. Is that the now,
1: we've done a little iteration. Our monthly meeting the management meeting only happens now one friday a month because i believe you can i think cameron harold's got right that you can have death by meetings i think his book meeting sucks really pushes into that and i really appreciate you know cameron's pushing into that because i think he's really right about that so once a month our management team meets and that's more because we run 90 day sprints and we want to make sure that each month we're on target to finish that quarter well. And we don't want to get to the end of the quarter and like we could have course corrected in the first month. So every month we're here's where we are. Here's where we're going to end up. Here's what's stopping us from ending up there. We do that same thing when we meet daily by department. And then our weekly, everybody in the company, I don't care where you live in the world, shows up at four o'clock on Mondays. That's mostly run by our COO. And every three weeks or so, we let grandpa in about kind of vision and Kind of like, are we all on the same page? And what's the value we really offer? And we do those. Yeah, those are very regular. We don't miss those.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, that, that is a really, I mean, anybody to this, you've kind of gotten a high level overview of the book, the CEO's mindset. And if you want to go check out the CEO's mindset and false profits, you can go to fullyaccountable.com slash seven figure millennials. Did I get that right? Just wanted to confirm that 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 was right. Okay. So go check that out. So I would highly recommend that, but uh, I want to give just a little bit of a taste of false profits. And you co-wrote this with your business partner, Chris Giorgio, is that how you say his last name? Hopefully Giorgio
1: and George, his name Giorgio. got put on there. He's more eye candy. I wrote, I actually gave him a shot to write it and then his gift is not writing. So I rewrote the whole thing. And yes, we're co-authors.
0: Okay, awesome. Eye candy. <laughs> That's cool. I know And you guys talk a little bit about who wrote each chapter. So there's obviously we're not going to cover a whole another whole book uh, that we talked the about. The number one here, thing but...
1: there is chapter two.
0: Yeah. If oh, you is that, do is nothing
1: that, else, read chapter two. Just like if you do nothing else, read the mindset and people chapter in CEO's mindset, which I mm-hmm. think are the most impactful. This one is chapter two, solving for X.
0: Yes. So can we, can we talk a little bit, can, you know, let's talk about the day that Chris walked into your office and talked to you about solving for X. You tell that story and then we can kind of reverse engineer why that's yeah. important. So he came in
1: and handed me the months and financials. Now, first off, I want to be clear that lots of companies don't even have monthly financials. They get like quarterly or year-end tax planning. Well, he did a great job of handing me our financials at the end of the month, which is about the 15th he handed it to me. And he's like, hey, I want you to read this and then let me know what you want to do. And I was so triggered in that moment because I was embarrassed. I didn't even know what I was looking at. I threw them at him. I, I straight up like he, he tells this story. I like, "Yeah, that actually happened." I threw it at him. I'm like, <laughs> it ended, but I was more embarrassed because I didn't know what to look at, and I was like, "Well, why don't you tell me what I should be looking at?" He's like, "That's all you want." like, uh, yeah, it came from a position of shame, but over, we actually solved something. I wanted interactive financials. I wanted him to help me. I see what I'm missing. Where's the bucket leaking? And in that process, it led to things like an interactive PL. And I started PL, which is a fancy term for profit and loss statement. And I didn't know that at the time, but I know that now. And um, I, I was able to like, see things that were out of whack. And one of those was in our business, the cost to acquire a customer is the most expensive line item in a digital world. And so, for most businesses, that's also true if you're in the digital acquisition of customers, even the offline acquisition of customers, it's usually your most expensive line item. Well, we found out through magic of math that 40 cents of every dollar was the magic of whether we made money or not. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was only through doing this formula. And I'm like, I would have loved to have known that 10 years ago. And so now I'm on this like, like big mission. Like, do you even know what it's like to solve for X in your own company? Like I'll say to somebody, a fellow friend, fellow business leader, what's the uh, what's the magic delta? What's the number where you're making money or losing money on your acquisition cost? And I know what happens. And it's probably happening to you right now. This like glossing over comes over. And I'd say that's an opportunity to go make sure you figure that out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was that's really cool, and it was a massive insight too. And obviously, your your profit margin is going to be different based on your business. So, like false profits will walk you through you know, right. different ways that you can research and identify what you should be shooting for based on the industry. And I also want to say too, I I, I just googled it just to make sure that I wasn't misspeaking, but I heard somewhere on a podcast that Richard Branson didn't know. What gross profit was until he was like 50 years old. So, like I think this is very, very common for even high-level entrepreneurs just to be go, 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 go. And then it's just like, you give me this, this sheet of paper with all these numbers. I don't know what this means.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so and like, then there's this, words in there, accounting yeah. words. You know, accounting <laughs> is the is the language, finance is the language of business. Right. I had to admit, I don't, I didn't know that language. I, I jokingly told that daughter, Sophia, that who was an intern who actually doing some amazing stuff. Well, she was sitting in my office chair just recently. And I said, I own a large enterprise who does accounting and finance. And I don't confidently know how to log in and use QuickBooks. I'm being real. I'm not someone who's reading your numbers. There are highly competent people on our team who do that. I just recognized a problem in our industry and I chose to solve that problem and no longer let that be one. But like, I butcher accounting terms all the time. I just recently found out that adjusted income is the same as gross profit in some sakes. Like people use these terms and they're interchanging. And I'm like, um, and Chris will come in and is like, dude, you're like butchering that term. That's not.
0: Accurate, it means. <laughs> There's a, When I, when I was, when I was in college, I, um, traded doing writing homework for my friend that was good at accounting. So like he he did my accounting and I would write for him because I'm much better at writing and communicating than <laughs> anything accounting related. Right. So it's definitely kind of triggering for me too, but it's also so, so refreshing to uh, get a good review of all these things. So um I know we're coming up on time here. So I have a, a bigger question that I think I'm just going to well, let's see. I'll give this up to you, Vinny. I know you you have a background in court as a corporate lawyer with a specialty in tax. Do you yeah. have maybe any really quick advice for the biggest mistakes that you're seeing people making about structuring their company? I know you got a whole chapter on this, and I know it's yeah. kind of something to, big to toss at the end. But anything high level that would be valuable to
1: share? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I give you isn't necessarily about what to structure as. I want to go even one step bigger. Something I didn't even get in the first phase of my career as a lawyer. The way our tax system is designed, the more mature companies just do this by evolution. Us smaller businesses, we don't realize that the tax system designs two bites at the apple. You need to maturely run your company and it as an organization and allow for tax efficiency to happen there. And then it produces some form of a reporting statement out to you and possibly your spouse that you then get a second bite at the expenses that would exist for you as the leader of that organization. Well, I can tell you right now that most organizations don't have those two steps because they don't really run organizationally, close out tax efficiency, and then look again, most of it's year-end planning in one shot. And how I know you know that is you'll walk into your CPA meeting and he's like, oh, so let's talk about some deductions. And you start talking about your business. He's like, oh, we should have done that. Let's do that for next year. And that's code for, that's too late. You should have been doing that in your business. Now we're actually having a planning of how to mature your stuff for you if the things that flow through to you. So regardless of your entity, there's two shots at it. And I would have loved to have known that. And now I just want to make sure you know that.
0: Yeah. And I think too, like the the key takeaway that you have at the end of that chapter, which um, I thought was super relevant is just making sure that you sit down and have a conversation with both a tax professional and an attorney, you know, at the same time, and just have a conversation with them in the same room <laughs> so that you can get the, both the perspectives at the same time. I think that's uh, you know, and you mature really up, you mature yeah. up,
1: you know, and you're a smaller business. Maybe you can't afford, you know, I, I think you invest and get out of what you invest, what you pay for. So if you don't mm-hmm. pay anything for it, you're probably not going to get much out of it. So maybe take that exhortment into considering. Professionals help you make more money, not take it from you. But with all that said, I I think this maturing principle of looking to organizational uh, operation even might come above, like making sure you're surrounded by a bunch of professionals.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm sure uh, everybody else is here is just riveted and and excited about learning more about taxes and that kind of stuff, but, uh, but very, very, very important things to understand and very highly recommend checking out false profits. So I want to wrap things up here. So grateful for your time here, Vinny. But the question I ask everyone at the end is uh, what have you come to understand what happiness means to you today, Vinny?
1: Where I, you know, it's funny. When I think about that word, I have to think of when the result of this internal feeling of fulfillment, well, con- being content and uh, really feeling good, like this idea that internally my soul feels fed. And so for me, I've been able to pay attention to when my soul is being fed. And for me, that looks the most like happiness. So examples of like that in my life, or when I'm taking my gifts and I'm investing in other people like when I'm actually doing the hard work of loving somebody and it produces results, I experience some of the greatest levels of happiness.
0: Appreciate that. Not going to add anything else on top of that. Thank you for that incredible nugget of wisdom. And I just want to have a really quick conversation with you hanging out with us today. Um, if this is your very, very first episode, I just wanted to say you could be listening to any other podcast out there. You could be watching cat videos on the internet, but you chose to hang out with me and Vinny today. So I'm super grateful to have you here. And if you're returning, thank you for returning and coming back and listening week in and week out. I really appreciate you. And whether you're new or returning, I have a favor to ask. And that is if you've been listening to some of Vinny's stories and how he's been able to grow these incredibly successful businesses from hiring great people, from making sure that he's prioritizing the right metrics in your, in in his business. Those are all critical things that if you share that with a friend, you could absolutely change their life and change their business. So my life has absolutely been changed by podcasts being shared with me. So please do that. If you have a friend that you think could get a lot of value from that, but uh, whether you choose to do that or not, Vinny, thank you so much for hanging out today. This has been a blast and I look forward to continuing the conversation, my friend.
1: Brennan, I hope that at least two of our people are listening here at the end, because I want them to hear some edification. I would say to you, in the hundreds of podcasts I've had the privilege of being on, you are one of the most attentive, well-prepared leaders and moderators I have ever had the privilege of being with. So bud, thanks for making this a gift to me. And for anyone else who benefits, I hope you do. But uh, you are are a master of your trade, buddy.
0: Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And I I feel like it's the best. It's the it's the thing I can do to, to really give your incredible wisdom to the world. So I really appreciate that. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now, and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton. If you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week